Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome back to Cotton Grower Magazine's Cotton Companion Podcast. This is Jim Stedman, editor of Cotton Grower, and the hoping and waiting for some measurable rain in too many areas is still continuing. Trust me, we, uh, we see and hear your frustration in what may turn out to be a historic year for drought, but then again, the crop in many areas seems to be doing great, and we'll talk about that in just a couple minutes. I'm flying solo again for this episode as my cotton companion, Beck Barnes, is off on some much needed time away, but we'll have him back in time for our next episode. But before we go any further, the folks at First Fire Safety, one of our monthly sponsors, have a message they'd like to share with you right now. First Fire Safety is a fire protection company based out of Austin, Texas. We have developed a foam fire suppression system specifically designed to protect the John Deere Round Bale Cotton Harvester. We install this system and train operators all over the world. Be fire ready with a first fire safety fire suppression system. Call today for more information and pricing. 512-777-1555. Of course, drought's not the only heartburn that's impacting this cotton production year. Back in mid-June, we all watched cotton price drop 30 or more cents in one day as inflationary concerns led speculators to exit the commodity market in general. And cotton was certainly not the only crop or industry segment impacted. Hopefully, the market is now sitting at a new base and that a climb back over a dollar is still ahead. Joining me in this episode is Hank Reichley. President and CEO of Staple Cotton, located in Greenwood, Mississippi. Hank and I had an opportunity to visit at a field day in Arkansas several weeks ago, just after the price drop, and he wanted to come back on the podcast to talk about it. We were finally able to get our schedules coordinated to make it work, so be sure to stay tuned to see what insights Hank has to share. But first, just a couple of items of interest for the cotton market. Now, recent crop progress reports have highlighted the overall deterioration of the U.S. cotton crop. And to a certain extent, the latest USDA crop progress report for the week ending July 24th shows the same trend, but also shows encouraging news for certain parts of the cotton belt. Overall, this week, 34% of the crop is rated good to excellent, 36% is rated fair, and 30% is rated poor to very poor. But if you take a closer look at some individual states, you'll find some good, strong ratings at that good and excellent level uh, at or above 50% in 11 states in Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, North and South Carolina, and Virginia. But on the flip side, Oklahoma, Tennessee, and Texas continue to show the highest negative ratings. Recent report also shows that 80% of the U.S. crop is squaring. That's up six percentage points in the past week. And that open bowls can now be found in 48% of the crop. That's up 17 points in the past week. But despite the issues facing this year's crop, we can now officially report that the first bale of cotton for 2022 has been delivered and ginned. Wesley Vanderpool of Alamo, Texas, harvested the year's first bale back on June 23rd. 1,989 pounds of seed cotton from a field of Stoneville ST4990 B3XF. His cotton was then ginned at Willisie Co-op Gin in Sebastian, Texas. 
and the bale will be auctioned off at the annual first bale of cotton auction and scholarship fundraiser on September 15th in Harlingen, Texas. And finally, congratulations to the Egemeyer family in Midkiff, Texas, who submitted the winning entry in the BASF 2023 Cotton Variety Catalog Photo Contest. Rachel Egemeyer captured the winning photo of her daughter Claire wearing her flower girl dress from a family wedding a few years ago on their Texas farm. It's a great photo. If you'd like to see it, check out the photo contest article on cottongrower.com. Well, now let's open the Cotton Companion Virtual Studio and welcome Hank Reichley, President and CEO of Staple Cotton, back to the podcast. Hank, thanks for joining me again. Jim, uh, absolutely. Thank you for the invitation. Look forward to our visit today. Great. Well, I know we visited a few weeks ago when we were both in Arkansas. And as I recall, the uh, that nice price drop for cotton and other commodities had, had just happened. Can you explain what happened, why it happened, and, and what kinds of comments and questions have you been getting from your, uh, from your membership? Sure, I'll do my best. Obviously, um, I think it was a surprise uh, to a lot of folks to see the market pull back uh, to the magnitude that it did and, and so quickly. Uh, cotton was not alone, as you mentioned, that we, we saw uh, a broad-based sell-off in, in uh, commodities and generally, and in general, and particularly the ags, uh, back around June the 21st, I believe, is when we really started, started seeing it uh, in cotton. And I, I think that um, they're just, you know, at the, about around that time, you started hearing a lot more people talking uh, about uh, the re recession coming soon. And mm -hmm. I think there was... Um, uh, a general consensus among the speculative community, or I won't say a general consensus, but certainly more, um, more of the spec community had decided that uh, they no longer wanted to have uh, the bets that they had about inflation, and maybe some wanted to even bet on deflation. You never know how these things all sort of happen at one time, but there clearly was enough people thinking the same way that that put uh, pressure on the markets when they started exiting the length that they had uh, in the ag complex, we've we've had a long spec in our market uh, for for many months now, and as they started to exit that position, that put pressure on prices. Then I think, uh, particular to cotton, we hit some very key technical points. Uh, if I recall correctly, in one day we passed the 100 and 200 day moving averages in the same day, and mm -hmm. uh, when that happens, that brings in additional selling uh, of uh, the chartists or the technical folks. And then on top of that, again, specific to cotton, uh, in particular right now, things are pretty slow in China, uh, in their textile industry, in their economy, in, in the whole entire economy. So uh, a lot of times when we see weakness um, in the world market, you know, you may have China's market react differently to that uh, and be sort of a counterbalance if, if they come in buy it, to buy it because the price gets cheaper relative to Chinese prices. In this particular case, things are weak enough in China that those prices had been falling as well. Uh, so there was no real good arbitrage opportunity for, or for the Chinese to be buying our market uh, and sell theirs. Matter of fact, I think you know, uh, probably with some selling coming into our market and to their end market uh, by the Chinese. So three factors really that um, this, this broader move probably made um, cotton more susceptible to to the sell-off maybe than the other commodities. Okay. Well, I'm, I've talked to several economists who who basically have said it's this has not been a usual fundamentals 
issue. Uh, you know, demand is still holding okay. And, and obviously, when you look at, at the, the crop situation and the weather situation, we do have sort of a weather market that would normally impact this market. Um, where does this look like it's going to go? How long, how long of a climb are we going to have to, uh, to get back to where people are feeling comfortable again? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and look, there are two sides to, to the uh, fundamental discussion, right? Supply <laughs> yes. and there's demand. And uh, over the last several months, but in particular in the last months, again, as I mentioned before, the, the macro outlook has certainly become more cloudy and people are more concerned about uh, an economic slowdown and a, a, a decrease in, in consumer spending that would be related to a drop in their discretionary income in particular. So the, that is, that the, it's a futures market. People are starting to look out there in the future and say, well, we have some, some headwinds and uh, in, in likely have headwinds in cotton consumption that are coming uh, and, and particularly compared to the, the tailwinds that we had for cotton consumption over the past say year to 18 months. Uh, but to your point, you know, we're not seeing a, a real slowdown yet in anything like retail sales. We have seen inventories build back some. Uh, so this, this, uh, the people that are betting on the, the uh, demand side breaking down are, are doing it a little bit preemptively, I would say, and certainly mm -hmm. doing it uh, in, in anticipation of that happening. We have seen some slowdown in, in, um, in the textile business and in, in, the, in the mentality uh, of textile mills over the last few months, but a lot of that was related to, to the inversion that we had in the market. As you recall, it wasn't too long ago that July futures were on the board and they were $1.30, $1.40 a pound. Right. So, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything that was too great. It, looked, it seems more like a normal slowdown. So I think a lot of the folks that have been selling the market have been just negative on the macro and negative on what that meant for cotton consumption. But at the same time, uh, we saw nothing but really strengthening of the fundamentals from the supply side argument. Uh, the U.S. crop uh, prospects continue to shrink because of primarily what's going on in Texas, but we did see a decrease in, in the uh, Memphis Eastern Acres just slightly when we got the June numbers. On top of that, uh, we've got some pockets in the Memphis Eastern area where uh, the crop is, is really struggling with drought. Got some great areas too, but when you mm -hmm. When you just factor that all in together, the Memphis Eastern hadn't been able to, to increase a whole lot of uh, production in, in the outlook and in Texas has continued to decline with the drought there. So, um, and then too, we you know look around the world and I think we're gonna be still fighting the impacts of fertilizer prices and shortages uh, probably will, uh, will, will probably not help us have help us to achieve bumper yields globally. You never know how the weather turns out, but so far, uh, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, re relatively benign global weather, but we didn't have a huge acreage increase any anywhere in the world either. So mm -hmm. there's, I don't think the market has been focused on some big, huge supply that's coming. I think rather it's been uh, not focusing on the tightness in the United States, and it's been more focused on the what, what is perceived to be coming around the corner with a slowdown in, in demand. Okay. Well, speaking of demand, uh, I know whenever we visited at, uh, at, at the field day or several weeks ago, you made a presentation sort of on focusing on what consumers are looking for and, and how the cotton market can, can meet those needs. Uh, since then, I saw a report from Textile Exchange that shows that preferred cotton uh, now represents 65% of overall cotton use 
by participating brands. Uh, we obviously have a number of sustainability initiatives that are that are active for cotton. Uh, is is this sort of the beginning of the of the the big payoff for some of these programs? Well, look, as I expressed uh, at the meeting where you and I both were in Arkansas, and uh, anytime you hear me speak, I, I talk about uh, the importance of these sustainability programs. The good news is uh, U.S. producers, by and large, are uh, very responsible and very sustainable. We have a great story to tell, but we have to tell it, and we have to put programs around that story that uh, that that you know make sure it has integrity and people can rely on it. So we we see a lot of those initiatives happening. Um, they are they are numerous. Uh, some will probably take hold. Some probably will not. I'm very excited about the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol. Uh, I think that's one in particular that has a very bright future. And I think it's the most important thing that we can do to improve market access for U.S. cotton and to make sure that U.S. cotton remains the most desirable in the world, not just the best fiber, but also just the, the most complete package. And a lot of that uh, in the future, a lot of the completing that package will be to, uh, again, give our, our clients around the world and our customers around the world the um, the cover they need when they buy U.S. cotton to make sure that they know that it's something that's responsible and something that ultimately will enhance their reputation uh, when they US cot uh, use U.S. cotton as opposed to uh, potentially hurt their reputation if, um, if U.S. cotton were to come under fire for some reason. So I'm, I'm excited about that. I think it's very important. Is it the beginning of a, I think you said, big payoff for these programs? It's hard to say that it's, um, to what extent the, we'll be able to monetize these programs directly back to the producer. There's certainly hopes out there that that will happen. And I believe uh, there will be some premiums associated with some of these uh, programs uh, to say if they're big or not. Of course, that's all relatively speaking. But if you get two things, if you get any premium, but you also get better uh, market access and we do things that help us cl clear the US balance sheet and uh, make sure that U.S. cotton is is competitive. Then certainly you get a you get a better price for your cotton in general as well. So yep. uh, I am excited about uh, the future, and and I think these sustainability programs are are here to stay. And I think they're an opportunity for U.S. growers. And we just have to we just have to get behind them and and uh, do them do them smartly, but do them in ways that uh, we can scale them and and let them benefit our producers because I believe they will. Absolutely. Uh, one last question. Uh, what are you uh, what are you kind of telling your membership right now in terms of what to watch for or or what to uh, expect, possibly expect and, and maybe where things are going to going to end up come harvest? Well, of course, over here and in, uh, in, in our footprint in Memphis Eastern Territory, I, I kind of alluded this earlier that um, there's a few pockets that that the crop is, is average to even maybe slightly below average, but outside of, let's say maybe the Northern Delta, um, where, where we see you know, instances where more of the acreage is maybe average, outside of that in our foot, footprint of Memphis Eastern, the crop's in pretty good shape today. Uh, today is uh, late, it's late July today. So we've got uh, several months to go before we get it in the barn, so to speak. But for the Memphis Eastern crop, we could we're envisioning anywhere between an eight and a half and nine million bell uh, production level. If you take the far west, we're probably somewhere between seven hundred and fifty thousand to 
900,000 bales. Put all that together, you're still sub 10. And then for Texas, um, you just are, we're just hearing more and more stories every day where there's you know, very little dry land that's uh, gonna make it. And even some of the irrigated is being heavily impacted. So you know, we hear numbers and, and calculate numbers that could be as low as 4 million bales uh, for that region. Um, maybe up to 5 million bales. So you start doing the math there, you, you have a hard time getting to the 15 and a half million bales that we're receiving, uh, the estimate we're receiving right now from USDA. Of course, USDA in their July report cut the production level from 16 and a half to 15 and a half. We think that's a step in the right direction, but probably still have some more work to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, ultimately the crop probably ends up um, in the, you know, if we if we had some improvements in conditions between now and harvest, maybe around 15 million bales, but in, in all likelihood, it's headed to, towards a 14 handle. Uh, so, you know, anywhere from say half a million, maybe even to a million and a half bales less than the current USDA estimate. That would be a, you know, a, a small crop that yields um, a, a very tight stocks to use ratio. And it also means that, um, if, if we do see a slowdown in demand, we won't fill it as much because we're already at that level would have a lot less cotton available for sale than we normally sell. Mm -hmm. So in effect, we've already sort of rationed demand, not, not necessarily because of price, but because we simply don't have it. Right. So one of the things I've told people is, you know, if you do see a slowdown in demand, um, you know, that's always negative, but it's not as negative uh, if you didn't grow it in the first place. And so we'll just need to continue to be mindful of both the, uh, what happens with demand, what actually is going to happen in the future. Uh, again, a lot of people are betting on it being real negative and, and maybe it turns out that way, but just again, have to remember the other side of the story is we've got a small U.S. crop coming and um, have some other, you know, challenges um, around the world that we'll have to deal, deal with, a lot of which we've been dealing with every year. We've seen the subcontinent continue to underperform in terms of yields, uh, primarily due to, to seed technology. And again, I think the one that we also have to, that's sort of an unknown this year is what will the scarcity and price of, of inputs mean for, for global yields as well? Sure, absolutely. Well, I think it's safe to say it's just gonna be one of those years. You know, we'll just have to sit back and see how it, how it all works out. Yeah. But Hank, thanks so much for taking time to visit with me today. Uh, you're a busy guy. I know it's kind of a challenge to get our schedules to line up on this, but I'm certainly glad we could make it happen. So uh, let's plan to get together and visit again soon. Absolutely. And again, thanks for the invite, Jim. I always enjoy visiting with you and good luck to everyone with, uh, with the remainder of the growing season and uh, with the harvest. Sounds good. And that's it for this episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast. A special thanks to Hank Reichley for sharing his perspective on the market with us. Thanks, too, to First Fire Safety for sponsoring this episode. And as always, thanks to you, dear listeners, for joining us. If you like what you hear on the Cotton Companion, please be sure to spread the word. Tell your friends about this podcast. Here's where and how they can find us. You can find the Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion, or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, Subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning.
You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. The Cotton Companion Podcast is produced twice monthly by Kim Henderson and Tyler Hatch, our talented colleagues at the world headquarters for Meister Media Worldwide in Willoughby, Ohio. My name's Jim Stedman, and Beck Barnes and I will be back with you in two weeks for the next episode of Cotton Companion. Until then, stay safe and cool. Yeah, he works and he works and he works and he works all day. God made a farm. Yeah, he works and he works and he works and he works and he works all day. God made a farm. Yeah, God.